0: We didn't take a salary for two years. So I had put myself in a position to really pursue my dreams.
1: You're listening to Financial Grown Up with me, certified financial planner Bobby Rebel, author of how to be a financial grown-up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're gonna get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. That was Women's Blogging Network Blog Her co founder, Elisa Kamahort Page, talking about the early days of that company. How many of us could go two full years without any cash coming in? Wow. Hello, financial grown-up friends. Welcome to our newest listeners, and thank you for checking out the podcast. We keep shows to about 15 minutes because you're busy, but feel free to stack a few episodes together if you have a little more time. All right, now to our inspiring guest. Elisa Kamahart-Page made a career switch to be part of the Silicon Valley boom and was rising through the ranks. She saw a lot of big spenders there, but as you will hear, she escaped many of the pitfalls of her dot-com peers, and it is only because of that, because of living below her means, that she was able to create her own company after the bust. Global Women's Media Empire blog her, which won countless accolades, including being named among the most powerful women entrepreneurs by Fortune, the most powerful people in new media by Forbes, and the most influential women in technology by Fast Company. And by the way, she also won the Vanguard Award by Mom 2.0 Summit iris awards and for anyone that's going to be down in austin for mom 2.0 this year in april please come say hello i will be down there as a speaker and i am very much looking forward to that back to elisa she later sold the company to she knows media and recently embarked on a career as a consultant speaker and author her book is roadmap for revolutionaries here is elisa Kamahart page Hey Elisa Camahort Page, you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Bobby. And many people know you as the founder of Blog Her, which set all kinds of high standards for women's organizations and blogging. You were named as a social media legend, by the way, by the C-Suite Network. Top woman in media by Folio. I could go on and on. And also, by the way, blog her, you guys were named Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs by Fortune. You sold that to uh, She Knows Media and stayed with the company for a little bit, but now you are a consultant and a speaker, and you are also the author of the book, Roadmap for Revolutionaries. So welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk today.
1: Well, you started your journey back in the late 90s in Silicon Valley at that time, you made a critical decision that we're going to talk about as your money story. And we're going to come back, by the way, to talk more about you. But I want to hear your money story because it has to do with a conservative financial move that you made at a time when the dot-com boom was really becoming a lifestyle and something that was consuming everyone around you. But you took a different tactic. Tell us your money story, Elisa.
0: Well, as I started going up the ladder and making more and more money, I did not spend like I was going up the ladder and making more and more money. I decided to really devote myself to my career at that point because I had this goal. I wanted to buy a house or a condo. I just really focused on that. And sure enough, I was able by myself to buy a condo. And what happened is when... The boom ended and we started with the bust and it started spiraling down and it was kind of a long, slow, uncomfortable spiral down. I had a lot of friends who were really married to their mortgage and they were really stuck because they, when times were really great they, and banks were willing to give you big loans, I stayed really conservative and i got a place that was appropriate for me someone living alone and and ultimately with a partner and i didn't i didn't go hug wild and a lot of my friends when the bust happened they were married to jobs that they felt miserable in because they had this big mortgage and whereas i i had sort of the opposite experience which is in 2003 the nadir of the bust and my company was going through like its eighth layoff in two years. And I thought it's gotta be me. Like I have got to be laid off at this point. There is hardly anyone left. And Friday came and went layoffs happened and I didn't get laid off. I sat there and I spent all weekend being depressed thinking, Oh my God, I have to go back. It's going to be such a graveyard. It's going to be so much more work and no more people to do it. I have to go back. That's so sad. And and then I had this little voice in my head that says, why? Why do you have to go back? Because I had been smart and I had bought my condo and then I had gone right back into conserving and hoarding <laughs> my money. And I had about two years worth of take-home pay in the bank at that point. And so I walked in on Monday and said, how do I get on the list? and the other thing that allowed me to do besides having my walk away money was a year later when i met my co-founders of blog Herb and we decided to go after that um we didn't take a salary for 2 years so i had put myself in a position to really pursue my dreams. And one dream was the condo, one dream was the company, but I really believe that you should think about your spending and saving now like you have that big idea you wanna pursue, even if you don't know what it is. Like, just think about when it hits you, being ready. It's really about keeping
1: your overhead low so you have that financial flexibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of options because I maybe wasn't as... um, You know, it wasn't as high spending and and wasn't going out and doing some of the things that looked kind of fun and they would have been fun. I just had other ways and really focused on wanting to have that cushion for myself because who knows what I would want to do next.
1: So give me an example. Do you remember any times when other people were doing things that you really couldn't do because you wanted to keep that overhead low and have this giant cushion? I mean, two years when you're so young (laughs) is a lot of financial runway there. I think a lot of
0: it was about what do I spend my money on? And I do, I'm like, I I presage the millennials because I tended to spend my money on getting together with friends experiences, you know, I would go out to eat more than I would buy things. So I wasn't necessarily out there getting that upgraded bag or lots of clothes. And certainly, I mean, I still shop. I've always like shopped at, Oh, and Taylor loft. That's like the perfect store for me. (laughs) You know, that's just not where my interests lie to want to spend a lot of money. And the other thing is I do travel more now than I used to. I think it's good you know travel is obviously super expanding for your mind and your heart and your soul and so I do think travel is important that has been sort of a slow increase in investing in those experiences but until that point most most of it was experiences that were pretty moderately priced and pretty close to home and pretty involving friends as well which I think was another reason that made me not miss the stuff I wasn't acquiring because you know, what I was doing was sort of enriching uh, my circle and my, my network and my friendships.
1: And you were busy. So what is the takeaway for our listeners here? Well, the takeaway is that money doesn't
0: buy happiness up to a certain point. I mean, yes, once you have your basic needs met, you're happier, but money doesn't buy happiness. What it buys you is freedom. And it buys you the freedom to do a lot more than you might be thinking about. And I don't know that when I was saving money to buy a house, I was thinking about saving money to start a company. Luckily, that came in handy for me. So money doesn't buy you happiness, but it does buy you freedom.
1: All right, let's move to your everyday money tip, which has to do with the value of mentoring and how that translates into financial success in the long run. I mean, it really goes to what you were saying before. You talk about playing the long game, even if you don't know what the long game is yet, because that's kind of what you were just getting at, is have the money (laughs) even before you figure out what you need it for. Because you didn't envision blog her when you were buying a house that was, you know, a lot less than what you could afford.
0: I learned when I first got into tech that, first of all, I had multiple mentors. I didn't look for one person to be the be-all, end-all mentor. I had one Guy who mentored me around technology issues. I had one guy who mentored me around business issues. And the one key thing he did for me that really was a lesson was that he let me sit in on calls and meetings that my position didn't require me to be there. He just sort of, you know, identified me as his protege and let me sit in and all i did in most of those meetings and calls was listen but i heard how he established relationships i heard how he negotiated and i heard how those two things worked together to get him what he wanted and you know, a lot of people think about when they think about negotiation, they think about what they're going to say, how they're going to make their case. And it's very kind of me focused. I really prefer to do a lot more listening because it's only when you understand what core thing you the thing, the person you're negotiating with, what core thing they really want. That's the way that you can find your way to having a mutually beneficial outcome to the negotiation. And I think that works on both sides of the hiring process, both sides of the negotiating advancement process, and both sides of negotiating partnerships and even M&A deals, you know. So I tend to be, I'm kind of talkative in real life, like outside of negotiation, but I listen more than I talk. Um, so that I can figure out how to get to that core thing my other person across the table really wants. And then giving me what I want is so much easier.
1: Right. The information helps you get to the point where you know what they need to hear to make it happen, whatever your goal is.
0: Yeah. If you're more busy talking than listening in any negotiation, you're actually not going to come out, I don't think, with the better end of the deal.
1: Very well said, Elisa. All right, let's talk about you because you have now left your baby blogger, which you had sold, and you are making a big impact in the world with your speaking and your book. Tell us more about what's going on with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I stayed after the acquisition for almost three years, but then it really was time to go. And part of it was because I wanted to work on some other projects, including my book, Roadmap for Revolutionaries, which is all about how we can all be better everyday activists and how we can be more effective because we're all busy. And I used to hate the term work-life balance because I felt like no one ever asked men about it. But now I like the term work-life activism balance because I like to think about how can you integrate into an already really busy life, how you want to make a difference in the world, the things you want to activate around, the issues you're most passionate about and finding a space for that in your life, I think makes us uh, so much happier because I think happiness is really tied to how well we live to our own value system and how much we're able to
1: do that. So true. All right, where can everyone find out more about you and where they can see you? Because you're very busy on the speaker circuit. <laughs> yes, well, my website is
0: cp.com and there's a tab there for all my speaking appearances. There's a tab there about my book. And about articles I write and the writing I'm doing, and then I'm on uh the interwebs uh twitter uh, elisa c and instagram elisa c p and most of my posts on Facebook are public. Just search my name awesome, thank you so much.
1: thank you, Bobby. So much great stuff here we go. financial one up tip number one ask your boss if you can be in the room of meetings you may not officially be invited to join. It's okay to just say, I wanna learn from you. I wanna observe. Think of it like auditing a class in school. Even if you don't have a specific business purpose there, ask if you can just be in the room, as I said. And then just do that. Listen, pay attention, be a little invisible. I know there's a lot of talk about sitting at the table, speaking up, participating, and that's all good when you have a role at the meeting. But if you're there to observe consider that a privilege and make sure it doesn't take away from the work that you need to get done otherwise. Financial grown-up tip number two, prepare for the long-term even if you don't have any big-picture goals yet. Elisa wasn't saving to start a business. She did not see that in her future. But when opportunity presented itself, she had the money to go two years without income to make it happen, and it paid off. So, my friends, what is the best lesson you have learned from a mentor? I would love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram at BobbyRebel1, on Twitter at BobbyRebel, and you can email at hello at financialgrownup.com. And if you find value in this show, please take the time to think of a friend that might also enjoy it and help us grow by encouraging them to check it out and subscribe. Big thanks to Elisa Camahort Page for her words of wisdom, a great story, and helping us all get one step closer. To being Financial Grown Up. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebell is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.